love how Brother Charles started out um, the prayer. He said, he's here today. You know, and I think that's something that we often can take for granted, the presence of God. You know, and wherever you may be, be it so Plaza Singapore, here or Bishan or at home, what we always should aspire for is for the presence of God. You know, and today even as I minister the Word of God, that's all I ask for is for the presence of God. I remember when we were going through UTB and we were talking about Cain. And I think all of you know about Cain in the Bible. And one of his punishments, he got a lot of punishments. But one of, to me, the greatest punishment was the fact that he was chased out of the presence of God. And all he could focus on was, Ayo, why people find me? You know, then people kill me, how? 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 That's all he could think of. But today, I'm here to tell you, right, there is no worse place to be without the presence of God. You know, and today, I'm so grateful that the presence of God is in this place today. You know, and I believe that presence of God is going to help you understand on today's message. Okay, today, I'm going to share about basically the last lesson in this series of intimacy with God. Okay, and I hope thus far it has blessed you, it has helped you. Okay, and one of the themes of this series has been fear. Okay, dealing with the issue of fear. And fear is the number one thing that keeps us in an intimate relationship with God. And everybody has fear, all right? Before, I mean, the first time before I preached, my fear was, Alamak, what if I say something wrong? Ah? Hey, do I look fine or not? I'm going to be on camera. Those were my fear. But nowadays, when I come to the pulpit, I say, Lord, I'm the only person standing between these people and their lunch, Lord. Lord, please, Lord. These people who are laughing at my joke right now and who love me now, my cast stones on me, Lord. So please help me keep my message short and sweet, Lord. You know, that's the prayer that I pray nowadays. You know, I don't want to stop you from your lunch, but I believe the word, the God has word for you today. You know, and even though we're covering the issue of fear today, I want to focus on this message. And the title of this message is today is Establishing a Biblical Concept of Love. Okay, because the, there's so many definitions of love. And I love this topic because the topic of love is so varied. And we, we, we use the word love very casually nowadays. I love that. I love this. I love to do that. And sometimes we water down the true meaning of God's love. You know, and, and this message today is about understanding what God's love is about. Okay, why is it important? Because if our concept of love is not correct, we will never enter into the right level of intimacy with God. It's very important. Okay, I'm going to open out this uh, scripture, and this is going to be the, the primary text for our lesson today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. All right, I'm going to read that. So there is no fear in love, but perfect love casted out fear, because fear had torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. What a beautiful scripture. What a beautiful scripture. So we want to divide that scripture today. You see, today I want to focus and define a couple of words for you. They kind of repeat themselves here. Okay? You'll find in this scripture the word fear okay, reoccurs four times in these verses. Okay? But the word love reoccurs five times. You see, the word fear is derived from the Greek word phobos, okay, where we get the word phobia from. 
you know, and, and, and all of you are aware of it. Some people have fear of spider, you know, some people have fear of heights, you know, and today, I, I, before I left my house today, my mom was going for her course, and, and my mom is not really very IT savvy, and she's very nervous, and she was like, yeah, very scared, I don't know whether the instructor will scold me, I don't know whether I will understand anything, you know, can you pray for me? And I remember praying for her. You can never grow out of fear, okay? The older you grow, you may have different fears. When you're young, you, maybe you fear something else. You fear of monster and darkness and all these things. You know, sometimes you're afraid of, um, of uh, insects. And I know some of my friends are afraid of lizards, you know. God forbid if a lizard is anywhere nearby, nobody's going to sleep. I know my sister, she sees cockroach, nobody's sleeping tonight in the house, okay. If she sees a cockroach anywhere near, I am not going to sleep until it's dead today. And she will on the light, she, you know, she will turn on, turn on the kitchen. I said, cockroach are even not in the kitchen. She don't care. Every light in the house must be on. Every insecticide must be out until the cockroach is found. Then she'll go to bed in peace. Okay, I don't know how many of you here. I know you all. Huh? Don't, don't act, huh? okay? Okay, so fear is real. Okay, and in the Greek mythology, the god of fear was also known as Phobos. All right? While it means fear, it also refers to terror. Okay, that's a wrong kind of fear. This is not a healthy fear. This is a unhealthy fear. Because you see, when you have fear, you, you can have fears that are good fear, which is the fear of God. You know, that is a holy fear. But the fear that we're going to talk about is an unhealthy fear. And more importantly, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 to 19 says, there is zero unhealthy fear in a loving relationship with God. You see, the word love here is the word Agape. And a lot of you know that word, and it's a unique word for the love of God. It is a word that differentiates God's love from every other type of love. And we're going to find out about the different types of love today. And if you do not understand what's God's agape love, you do not understand God's love. Okay? Now, let me say this the Bible says there is no fear in God's love, but there is fear in every type of love. Wow, let that sink in. Every other type of love that we may have has an element of fear in it. But in the perfect love of God, there is no fear. Wow. You see, in the world today, we have tremendous fear in our so-called love. And let me give you some uh, examples of this. Cohabitation, okay? Uh, one of the statistics I came across is that cohabitation has risen 600%. Oh, Lord. Is this heaven calling? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, co oh, sorry. Brother Charles, can I pass you my phone? I don't know who's calling me. Hopefully, not happen. Okay. So, cohabitation has risen by 600% since 1990. What is cohabitation? The state of living together, okay, having an intimate relationship, okay, without being married. It has risen by 600% by 1990. Okay, in the last 14 to 20 years in the world, the numbers of people living together before they get married has dramatically risen. Okay, and just to be clear, okay, I, I'm, I'm not standing here indicting you if you had done that or, or if you're doing that right now. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people are doing that now. Okay, it's a fact, alright. And however, people that live together before they are married have dramatically higher incidence of divorce if they marry. Once again, fact. If they do not marry, they have dramatically higher incidence of adultery or 
abuse. Once again, fact. Every problem goes up when people cohabitate rather than getting married. And so the reason for that is because cohabitation is based on fear. Because people live together because they fear committing. That is the reason why men want to live with women rather than marrying her. Because a woman lives with a man because she's hoping that one day the man will take the next step of marriage. And so she's living with him. But the man just wants to live with the woman. Okay, but he doesn't want to commit. You see, men are fearing commitment. And they want to be able to experience the benefits of marriage without being married. You see, but we have to understand that cohabitation is a feature in our society today because people do not want to commit due to the fear of having their hearts broken. Because it's easier, right? If I marry, then it becomes more complicated. Oh, I have to go through divorce. You know, sometimes people have annulment and all these things. They have to separate this, you know, then children, money, all these things. So why do we just cohabitate? You know, we, we don't get married like it's easier. You know, if we, if we, I mean, obviously we don't, we don't want to say it will not work out. But if it doesn't work out, we have a way out. And deep down, the root issue is people are afraid of getting their hearts broken. And that's why they don't want to commit. You see, in our society, marriage is the kind of the ultimate act of commitment. And that terrifies people. And so when the Bible says there's no fear in love, you know that you're experiencing the love of God because you have absolutely no fear whatsoever. There is no negative emotions attached with the love of God, but you simply cannot say that about the brand of love that is taking place in our society today. You know, I remember when I was watching a couple of the videos about some of the YouTubers and some of the, like, the people who are influencers. You know, I, I, I remember watching this singer called Sean Mendes. I remember talking, watching an interview with this a singer called Selena Gomez. All these people, so popular, millions of followers on TikTok or Instagram, whatever. But guess what? When they come on an interview, what they talk about? Fear. That's, it's genuine. They're so popular, probably loved by a lot of people. But one of the things that always causes them so much distress, and a lot of them go for a mental breakdown, a lot of them are depressed. Yeah. Why? Fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of how people view them. I remember Sean Mendes said that right from the beginning, he, he, when he was a young kid, he already grew up because the world kept telling him the world is going to be destroyed. And which is why his generation has always been focusing on climate change. They are always fighting for recycling, reuse. And there's nothing wrong with that. But their, their, their agenda is, oh no, the earth is going to be destroyed. The earth is going to be destroyed. So I need to recycle, I need to reuse, I need to do everything. And any campaign I can do, any campaign I can be part of, any campaign I can attach my name to, I will do it. Because you know why? I'm scared that the earth will be destroyed, so I need to play my part in it. But guess what? In the kingdom of God, that shouldn't be our fear. Our fear is, yes, the earth is going to be gone, people. I will tell you that. The Word of God says that. This is not our home. The earth will be destroyed. Our fear is, what are we going to do after the earth is gone? That, is our, that should be our fear. That should be the, our primary motivating factor. And unfortunately, the generation that we are growing up with, their fears have been misguided. The enemy has turned his attention away. You know, because last time it was like, is God or no God? That was probably the primary the fear. If, oh no, if I don't obey the word of God, then how? But now, there's so many versions. You, oh, you have to feel about what people think of you. You have to feel about what I have to eat. You have to feel about what I wear. You have to feel about what I drive. You have to feel what, how big is my house. Every single thing cripples you with fear. And it's rather unfortunate. And the devil has done his homework so well. 
So is it more, even more so, we should be vigilant. We should be aware of the Word of God. And I remember uh, people are being afraid, as I mentioned earlier, for rejected, for, being, for their teeth not being white enough, for the perfume not kicking in at the right moment, for not having the right body type, you know, something like that. We are, we are never more terrified than being rejected than we have been today. And, and, and if you're a student today, you're, you're afraid that, dude, will I pass my exam? My grades, how are? You know, if you're a parent today, will my child get that, that place in that prestigious school? Can, can my child get that, 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 that place or not? If not, then how? Uh, then I have to send him to another school. Then how? Cannot. Uh, not elite enough. Then how? You know, then people, people will be worried about that. You know, and, and if you are a couple who, who just got married, you're thinking about the house, the payment that you pay. If you're going to have a children, you're going to think, oh no, I'm going to have a new baby. How? Uh? I, I got all these commitments. There are different types of fear. If you're a football fan, if, especially if you're a Manchester United fan today, you know, maybe you start out very happy. Hey, Ole at the wheel, Ole at the wheel. But now you're fearing, oh no, Ole at the wheel. Okay, you might be fearing. Okay, maybe it was not necessarily the best of choice. Everybody has different kind of fears. Alright? But you see, when the Bible says there is no fear in love, this is uniquely God's love. Let me just continue here. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. The word torment here means eternal punishment. It means God turning on you. Just, just let that sink in. We hear so much about the love of God. So much about God will protect us. God will do, always do right. God, Wow. God turning on me? That's, that's a possibility? How many of you had a person told you that they love you, but after that they turn on you? And, and, and I tell you, this one is, is sec, those secondary school one. The best friends forever. <laughs> hey, you best friend, right? Yeah, you best friend, best friend together. And then suddenly, they, hey, hey, how come the person is hanging out with that person? No more best friend, backstep ready. <laughs> wow, I thought you best friend together. Then now he go there. Okay, I go find my own best friend, then you go. In school, it's like this. It sounds very petty, but it's true. That's where it started. And then when you go up, you become an adult in the office. Oh, hey, buddy, buddy, bro, I got your back, bro. And then you find out, you go to the meeting, the brother doesn't have your back anymore already. <laughs> office politics, you know. You thought, like, hey, that's my friend. But no, no more friend already. Survivor of the fetus. Right? So, that's the truth. Because people turn on you. Because people's love is not God's love. It's limited. It's tainted. See, I remember, because I, I come from an educational counsellor background, and I, I come from counselling, and I've, I've sat in sessions where they're counselling, and oftentimes, you know, we, we would have cases where people, kids walk in, you know, or, or, or we hear stories about parents where one moment they were fine, and, and they were loving, they were nice, they were kind, but the next moment, the same parent who maybe was very nice, started to lash out, started to abuse the child. A lot of the child abuse cases that come, come true. That, those are some of the common stories that we hear. You know, not all child abuse stories started out like that. You know, originally the parent might have seemed fine, was happy, but I don't know, circumstances changed the person? Or, 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 or something changed, and then the parent becomes abusive. You know, even though they may say, I love you, love to them means I love you now, but that could change. I don't know how many of you, I remember last time Singapore did the gambling app. 
right? The father go to the daughter, say, hey, come, come, you know, give me the money. And then he will take the money from the daughter all the time, her savings. And then he will gamble it away. It's very dependent. You know, one moment, I love you, I appreciate you. But maybe because of what you, what you mean to me and what you give me. But that if no use for me, then too bad. I throw you away. It was always dependent on circumstances and other factors. And some of us today could have experienced that ourselves personally. And it could be different circumstances. And the scripture says that perfect love casts out fear because there is no torment in it. God will, see, God will not, not turn on you once you are God's. He will never reject you. Once you are God's, He will not reject you. But if you're not God's child, if you're not obedient, you're not following His word, you're not in His family, you're not in His kingdom, it's free for all. You're on your own. That's why I told you, there's no better place than to be in the presence of God. There's no better place than to be under the umbrella of God's protection. Because the moment you step out, the moment you step out of the boundary, I remember when we teach about sin, what is sin? The sin is you, you, you build a boundary and that's God's word. And the moment you step out of God's word, gone. The devil has free hold on you. See, love works in both ways. You may love someone, but the person does not love you. And that was the case with the children of Israel because they rejected God. God loved them so much. He did so much for them, but they just kept rejecting Him. And when you belong to Him, He will never punish you in a vindicative way. And that's well, I, and, and when I think about it, I'm like, wow. Because I'll be very honest. I mean, I know we all have different colours. And I, you know, sometimes I'm a blue, right? This is why I pride myself. Like, well, I'm the most compassionate person. You know, I'm blue. So I'm the most loving, most loving, nurturing, compassionate person. But oh, hell, break loose if a blue is offended or upset. Oh, boy. You do not want to do that. Amen. You know? Oh, pastor say amen. Very loudly somehow. Okay. Okay? Because after that, wow, then the blue people are upset. Man. Don't talk to you, no? Better say, better say sorry. Better know why you say sorry somehow. Don't say sorry. What do you say sorry for? No? You must know the reason. You know? If not, you die. You know? And it becomes almost like, I will not accept it. It becomes a slightly more vindicative. Yeah. You know? And it's like, it's my way on. Is no way. You know, it's unfortunate, but God is not like that. When we reject Him, when we, when we hurt Him, God does not go, oh, you turn your back on me, right? Fine, I punish you. Oh, you do this, right? Never mind, I don't provide for you. Because you know why? In the past few months, right, even though we've been in a pandemic, I, I can safely say I've been greatly blessed by God. Eh? And, I can, I, and I can also safely tell you, uh, I don't think I'm the best of Christians or the most holy of person, but God still has my back. Eh? Amen. I mean, how many of you can sit down here and tell, tell me that, yes, I've been a perfect person? You can't. If you really touch your heart and tell me today, you can never say that you are a perfect person, you have never sinned. But guess what? God still has your back, hasn't He? He has always provided for you, hasn't he? He has always protected you, hasn't he? He has protected your children, your family. Even in the midst of this pandemic, you are still here, alive and well. And we take that for granted because God is not vindicative. You see, if we were to go further into this scripture, this is what it's saying. Fear involves torment or punishment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We are not talking or making God into loving us. He is talking us into loving Him. He was in love before we got there. You see, the way our love operates is we often have to see the person. 
Right? We have to see the club, we have to see the food, we have to taste it, we have to experience it, and then we love it. But God loved me even before I came into existence. Eh? Like, does that not blow your mind? He knew in advance all the things you're going to do, all the mess-ups you're going to do. And He said, I still love you. Love is not something that we want, but something we are trying to talk God into living in us. Love is something that God wants and we love Him because He initiated the whole thing. And just to let you, uh, let me say this, you know your intimacy level with God by your fear level. You cannot fear and love at the same time. If, you, if the level of fear in your life is very high, then I'm so sorry to tell you, your level of love is very low. Okay? So again, you do not have to answer these questions outwardly, but inwardly. I want, to, I want you to ask these questions to yourself. How much do you fear God in a wrong way? First question, how much do you fear God in a wrong way? Second question, how much do you fear God turning on you? Oh no, oh no. I scared lightning suddenly strike me. Do you have that kind of fear? I mean, obviously that is a very extreme example, but do you feel like God is going to rob you of an opportunity? Do you feel God is going to tur like, turn his, his, his blessings away from you? How much do you fear God rejecting you? Third question. Do you ever feel like, oh no, I mess up so much. If I go back to God now, He confirm will not accept me. God, I sin too much. I'm so far back. I can never return back to God already. If you draw close to God, do you really believe that He accepts you? I know the Bible says, I know the preachers say, but I don't know whether He will really accept me. They only say one, I don't know whether it's true. Do you think that? It is important to understand this, the degree of negative feelings that we have towards God and struggle that we have loving God, that is the degree to which we have never experienced the intimacy of God. The degree. You see, for most of us, this is what we do. We take our experience of life and we impose that on God. Whatever we experience here on earth with, with the people around us in our homes and our, our workplaces and our lifestyles, and, we, and we, we put God into that equation. You know, people who have rejected us, the people who have called us names, we think God is like that also. The people who will not love us, maybe because we are too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short, nose too big, ears too, uh, uh, ears too big, you know, teeth, whatever problem with it. You know, we take all these kind of things and we impose that on God and we say we do not measure up. The reason that I fear loving God is because I know that I do not measure up. Let me tell you something. God's view of you, uh, I, you the moment you have a tainted view of God, it's going to be so hard for you to accept the love of God. Yeah. I remember going through my UTB lesson and I told my student, hey, bro, I'm, I'm telling you right now, uh, this first few lessons, right, you really need to understand the characteristics and the character of God. Eh? Because if you don't get it now, right, all the rest of it right, is just information. Because yeah. you will not believe that God loves you. But the moment you believe God is merciful, then you, it all makes sense. The moment you understand God is a redeeming God, everything makes sense. The moment you know that God is a loving God, He's a merciful God, He's a gracious God, He's an all-providing God, He's an all-conquering God, everything changes. Eh? And I remember at the end of the UTV, my UTV student turned around and I said, bro, what, what stood out to you? He said, I'll be honest with you, all this while I thought God is very cruel. Because he always let people die. All these bad things happen. But after I went through this lesson, I had to say I changed my mind. I, I, I understand now that God was, it's not a cruel God. He's not a bad God. And I, that's what I'm here to tell you today. 
he's not that bad as the devil paints him out to be. He's not as evil as the world paints him out to be. So today, I hope that we can repair our concept of love if it is wrong and we identify what is the biblical definition of the word love. But first, I want to explore what the dictionary says about love and go through just a few definitions with you. Okay? Um, this is the American Heritage Dictionary defining how love is in the American sense. Okay? It says, love, first definition, a deep, tender, inevitable feeling. Second definition, a feeling of intense desire. Third definition, sexual passion has in a love affair. Fourth definition, an intense emotional attachment. Fifth definition, a person who is in an object of deep, intense affection or attraction. Sixth definition, expression of one's affection. And finally, strength of passion. Seven definitions I've given you of what the American Dictionary defines as love. Every definition of the word love in our language is talking about a feeling. I want you to know that. Every definition of the word love is describing a feeling. And that is why our definition and our brand and our experience of love is doomed to fail. Because it's dependent on feeling. And we all know here, we're sitting here, we are honest with ourselves, we cannot trust our feelings. The heart is a deceitful thing. The heart is a deceitful thing. The Bible tells us that. So our feelings are not to be trusted. And if our definition of love is dependent on our feelings, then we are doomed to fail. See, I'm going to now break down five Greek words of love and their definition. Because the Greek people, you know, they broke down, okay? And this is like the, the real definitions. And they had five variations of love. And they are very exact, okay? And I'm going to break it down, okay? Five ways, okay? The first definition is the word eros, okay? This occurs in the Bible, sometimes in classical Greek. It occurs many times. Usually, it refers to sexual lust, you know, or sensual love. And when a Greek person said to a person, I love you, they had a distinction between agape love or other forms of love, okay? If you were attracted to a person, especially sexually, you would say, I eros you, rather than I agape you, or something else. That's the first definition. Second definition is philao. Okay, for those who know or heard of the place Philadelphia in USA, it's, it's known as the city of brotherly love. Okay, so philao means fond of affection, a fond affection. And if I'm friends with a person, okay, I go to school with, you know, I go to work with, I like you, you know, and I want to tell you that I love you and I'm Greek, I say philao you. Okay, and that means I am very exact and that means you are a brother to me. Okay, Brother Charles. Philao you. Okay? Don't worry. Okay? Nothing else. Okay? Third one. Okay? The third word for love. Okay? Is torge. And it means family bond. It means I might not like you if you are not my family, but since you are my family, I storge you. And that means there is a unique family bond that holds us together. And so again, they were very exact. Okay? Fourth definition. Okay? is, I hope I pronounced it correctly, epithemia. It means strong desire. This is where we get our word like thermos. Okay, it means hot. You know, our thermostat, you know, our thermos plus, 
you know, it means hot. Epidemia means I love something. Like, I love football. You know, I love Arsenal. You know, I love Manchester United. I love burgers. I love chicken rice. I love traveling. You know, I love, I love, I love. We, we use that word very often nowadays. Okay, but we, this is what the Greek meant. You know, it means that you have a burning passion for that. Okay, which means that it could die away. It's a burning passion, but it could die away. You know, one day you, you support this club, you change. You know, one day you might like this food, the next day you change. Okay, but at that point in time, you have a burning passion for it. But the fifth definition in the Greek language is agape. It was the least used word in classical Greek. The most used word in the Bible for the word love. When God talks about the word love, He did not use eros, philau, storge, epithemia. The word that He uses is the word agape. And he is the only person that possesses the definition of agape. So let me define agape for you that, so that you can understand. When you hear that God loves you, this is what God is truly saying. John chapter, John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, in this scripture, when he starts out, for God so love, right there, that word love is the verb agape. So what it basically means is that God so loved the world that he came as a human being and, 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 and called the human being his son. And Jesus had his origins from both men and God. And he was called the son of God and the son of man. So based on that, let me give you five ingredients of God's perfect love. First one, God always likes to treat us with ultimate worth. Amen. Number one, God likes to treat us with ultimate worth. Wow, ultimate. When you're talking about agape love, you're talking about a person treating someone else with ultimate worth. The Bible says that God so loved that He gave His most valuable thing that He had. He gave of Himself. You see, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love because He laid down His life for us, that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, God manifested agape love first so that we can follow in His footsteps. He showed us what it means. What is the highest form of love? Agape love. You know what's the highest form of love? When you lay down your life for someone you love. And He did that for all of us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. For no man had yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherishes, even has the Lord the church. You see, Ephesians chapter 5 says that men are supposed to love their wives as Christ loves the church. He nourishes, and what is the other word there? Cherishes. He nourishes and cherishes the church. Do you know what cherish actually means? Is to treat with ultimate worth. Jesus looks at you today and He treats you as though you're incredibly valuable. And I, I, I often I hear, you know, when, when people are in a very toxic relationship and they describe each other, they fight, and people look at each other and they say, wow, that person treat me like trash. Treat me like rubbish, basically. You know what rubbish has? No value. That's why you throw it away. And human relationship, oftentimes we are done with people we are, and they don't measure up to our standard. We treat them like that. I can just throw you away. 
Because to me, you have no value. But today, I'm standing here, I'm telling you, when God looks at you, He sees the ultimate value. Hallelujah. He sees ultimate worth. He only sees 100%. Eh? So why is it that you love the people that you love and why are there some people in your life that you can just take or leave? Half of the reason is that I love Jesus is because I like Jesus. You know, I love to hear the songs about Jesus. I love to hear the stories about Jesus. You know, I admire Jesus. And when I read the Bible, I read about who He is. I think a lot about Jesus. That's why I like Jesus. You know, I like... And for some of us, unfortunately, unfortunately, some of us like the idea of Jesus. And today, I want you to help understand there's a difference between liking the idea of Jesus and loving Jesus. Because Jesus cannot... Because if you like the idea of Jesus, He is nothing but an idol in your life. Because you're just putting Him on a pedestal. You're just putting Him on an altar and you like the idea of what He can do for you. You like the idea of what He stands for. You like, oh, oh, I love the love of God, but no, I don't want when He disciplines me. You know, I, I love how, how, how God will provide for me, but then if He holds back something for me, then I'm not happy. I asked for a big car, what? God, why do you want to give me? Oh, I think God is not a provider. I asked for promotion, what? Why God, why do you want to give me? Call him not my provider. See, you like the idea of God. And that's wrong. That's a misconception. And the second reason why we love Jesus is the way that he makes me feel about myself. Amen. That's, that's what you like. And, and, and to be honest with you, that's wrong. nothing wrong with that. I love how Jesus makes me feel. I love the way he comforts me. I love the way he loves me. I love the how. And sometimes when we come into a place like this, especially like what Brother Charles was talking about, when we gather together and we were singing, and you can feel the presence of God, you feel like, oh, so shook. You know? And sometimes the presence of God is like, you know, rainy day, you get a hot drink, cover yourself like a comforter, like very comforting, very warm feeling. For some of us, that's how Jesus is sometimes. That's how he feels like. You like the way that Jesus makes you feel. And likewise, half of the reason why I love anyone is because of the way I feel about them. The other half is of the way they make me feel about myself. They make me feel valuable. They make me feel attractive. I'm not going to hang around people who put me down all the time, right? I'm going to hang around people who say good things about me. You know, if someone says, hey, Brother Peter, wow, very, good, hey, very, very nice, hey, wow, what you did there, wow, very good job, hey, what you draw, very nice, what you speak, very nice, you do. Then people come, I, well, I, I want to be there, man, because I know these people appreciate me, they value me. You know, and, and you want to hang around those people because how they make you feel. And I have never loved a person in my life that has made me feel about myself. Okay? That, I can say that for personally, okay? And you know why you should love Jesus? Because he speaks value to you more than any person that you know. Amen. You know how I know that? He gave his blood, he gave his life. And that is what God thinks of you. What, what more do you want God to give you? That's all he had to give you. That is the highest level. He gave his blood, he gave his life. That is all Jesus gave. And that's all that is needed. Because that's how much he thinks of you. By the way, when we come here and we worship God, the word worship means worth shit. And so what is he worth? What are we willing to give in response to the God that we worship? Worship always comes down to what are we willing to give? Wasn't that the case with Abraham? What was his greatest possession? Isaac. 
and he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. I'm willing to give you my, my most prized possession. And the angel had to stop me. He said, hey, bro, wow. Now we know how much you, 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 you love God, that you're willing to give your most prized possession. Worship. And that's what Abraham said. You notice in the Bible, we will go yonder and worship and return back. So worship means what am I willing to give? Why am I willing to sacrifice for the God that I love today? Love means value. How much does God value us? Well, He was willing to give His own life. Okay, that is how I know God values me. I want to give you a short story here. Okay, maybe it might not be a short story. Lah. Okay, I'll try to go through faster. Okay, it's a story, about a, uh, a story that a missionary shared. Okay, so basically it's about a poverty-stricken island hundreds of years ago. Okay, I want to give you context. This story was a long time ago, okay? So I don't want anybody to cast stones on me when I tell you this story. So on this island, you obtain a wife with a dowry, okay? Basically, one had to kind of purchase a wife. And when they did not have money, they had to depend on corn, wheat, cows, pigs, chickens, as substitute dowry, okay? So when you purchase a wife, you came to her father and you gave him agriculture produce, okay? Like pig, eight or nine chicken, you know, whatever you think the wife is worth. And back then, the highest trade value was a cow. Okay? Cow was the highest trade value. Okay? Parabeta, I really want to share that story about Philippines, Parabeta, I don't know why. But Abang was reminded, okay, never mind, later I'll share that story. <laughs> if you really, really loved a woman and her dad was really hiking the price up, you gave one cow. Okay? And if she was really, really, really worth a lot. You gave two cows. Okay? Three cows was the record. Anything above three cows was unheard of. Okay? I don't know how that would stand in our time. I'm not very good, huh? Okay? Imagine your, your, your wife is worth three chicken, then inside is two cows. Then, then your self-worth is attached to the animal. So sad. <laughs> Then the animal died, then how? No value really, is it? Two chicken, oh, my wife worth two pig. You know, five chicken. Two make, make spicy. You know, that's how, that's how we are valuing it. Okay? So, three cow was the highest. Okay? So, this is a small island. Everybody practically knew each other. And there was this man, he's a really wicked man. And he had a daughter. This daughter was all beaten down. Okay? She was like, kind of abused. Lah. And her hair was dirty, unkept. She walked around with dirty clothes. And, and, and she did not dare to look anybody in the eye uh, because she was really shy, very, very uh, like, she was just very, like, paiseya, you know. And her father was a very evil person, okay, and verbally abused her, always put her down a lot, right. And one day, a man came, knocked on the door of the abusive father, okay. And this man happened to be the richest man in the island, okay. And he said to the father, I want to purchase your daughter, to be my wife. And the father was like, very poor man, right? So he's like, he looked at him, okay, which daughter? So he had a couple of daughters, okay? And he said, look, 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 look. He pointed right at that one. He pointed. And he was pointing right at that girl who had her hair down, unkept, disheveled. And the father looked at the richest man and said, are you kidding me? Are you here to mock me? You're joking, right? I'm not here to... And then the richest man is like, no, I'm not joking. I'm not here to make fun of you. I legit, I'm here to purchase your daughter and I want that daughter of yours. 
And then he asked, how much for that daughter? And then the man looked at him and said, you know what? I'll give you five cows for her. The richest man straight up said, five cows for her. By the way, I remind you, uh, nothing more than three uh, is unheard of. And the man said, I'll give you five cows for her. And the father couldn't believe it. And the father was like, you're going to pay me five cows for her? That's what his reaction was. He looked at his daughter. He was shocked that the richest man was going to pay five cows for her. That was his reaction. And the, the guy's like, yep, five cows, five cows, take it or leave it. And the, the father was like, wow, he cannot believe his stuff. He's like, deal. So the man gave the five cows. He took the daughter and the man left. The father was just shocked. He was like, wow. I he, to him, felt like, wow, daylight robbery. Eh. Like, perfect. I just robbed the richest man. I just gave him, like, this daughter of mine that I don't value at all for five cows. Okay? And that easily made him one of the wealthiest men in the island, just purely by having that five cows. A couple of years went by, okay? The, the, the old man lived his life. I mean, the abusive man lived his life. But then the thing is, there's always this thought at the back of his mind. Why the rich man are uh, giving five cows for my daughter? It always bothered him. Always bothered him. It's like, I, I never saw any value. No. Why are uh, five cows? Eh? It bothered him. Eh? So what he did, okay, he went over to the house. Okay? He knocked on the door. Okay? And then the door opened. And there was this lady standing at the door. Her hair was all beautifully done. Absolutely stunning. Wearing a beautiful dress. She was simply radiant. And he was standing there. He suddenly realized, wait, that's my daughter. The daughter that I saw. And he could not help himself. Eh. He went, wow. Like, I think he probably wanted to have an internal voice. Ah, but he couldn't stop himself. He said, wow, you look good. To which the daughter said, thank you. And invited him into the house. And he said, I want to talk to your husband. So then she brings her husband. The father says, my daughter looks good. To which the husband responds, thanks, she always did. And so the father says, I need to ask you a question. This has bothered me for the last couple of years and I need you to be honest with me. You came to my house with five cows, but you could have easily bought my daughter for a few chickens or a pig. Okay, that's how much the father valued her. But why do you actually pay five cows for my daughter? He asked the rich man. And the rich man looked him straight in the eye and he said, I always made up my mind as a kid that when I became a young man, I would have nothing less than a five-cow wife and that is why I gave you five cows. And the father looked at him stunned and he walked away. In this story, the devil is likened unto that abusive father. He never sees any value in you. He always looks down on you. But Jesus always looks at you like that rich man because he did not try to negotiate. What is the highest price I can pay for him? Five cows. He went there. With five cows. 
He did not bring chicken, pig, all this. He went there with five cows because he knew the value of the wife that he was going to marry was the five cows. And that is how Jesus values you. He looks at you and all he sees is you're fully valuable. What is the highest price I can pay for my child today? Lay down my life, done. I'll do it. And that's what he did on the cross. Even it meant for one soul, he said, how much is Brother Charles worth today? How much is Brother Shang worth today? You know, how much Sister Mitch is worth today? Five, my life, done. I'm doing it. You never find God. You never find Jesus negotiating at all with the devil. You never find him saying, can you give me lesser? Can you let me suffer lesser? He took the full suffering. Whatever that was given to him, took it. He said, give it to me. Was he afraid? Yes, he was. He was nervous. But guess what? Give it to me. He took every whip, every stripe that was given to him. You know why? Because one day he know, my people need my stripes because they need to be healed. Because the word of God says, by his stripes, we are healed. He know I had to take everything on so that one day, my child that I value will have the very best. So that when they pray in my name, they will be healed. They will be saved. And Jesus gave his all. He is like this rich man and all he could see is the total value, the full value. But the devil... Why don't we just close our eyes right now and just pray? Lord Jesus, even as I stand here and I pray for the people who are under the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord Jesus, the enemy tries to lie to us, the enemy tries to brainwash us and deceive us and, and help us believe we are not worth anything, that we are, we are not valuable in the eyes of men or God. But Lord, I pray it is a lie. And today, Lord, even as the word of God goes forth, I pray that you bring understanding. Let scales fall from the eyes of people, people who are watching on live stream, people who believe, who buy into the lies of the enemy that they are not valuable, that they are not worth anything. I come against that right now in the name of Jesus. We take full authority and I'm here to say, God values you. God loves you. God paid full price for you. And that is all that matters. If you're grateful for the love of God today, why don't we just praise the Lord in this house today? How do we worship Him? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. See, the devil never believed in you. He puts you down. He abuses you. He never showed you value. See, the devil's people are like that too. Unless, they, unless you don't look right, you don't act right, you're not worthy to them. Okay? You see, Jesus came while you were still in your sin, while you were still in the devil's house, held captive. And he came and he saw you in your sins. He looked past all the sins. He looked past all the imperfections. And he looked at the person that you were behind all of that. And when nobody else believed in you, he believed in you. And he refused to give any less than himself for you. Wow. I've been grateful for a lot of leaders in my life because oftentimes when I started out, I will always tell myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I feel like I'm not qualified for this. I don't think I can do that. I don't have the skill set for this. I don't think I'm the most equipped for this. And I always try to 
put myself down and then say, I'm not good enough, like Moses. But God, I'm of slow speech. I, I can't do this. I can't. But see, the thing about God and, and a lot of these leaders in my life I've been blessed with, they see past my imperfections and they see what I can be. You know, and today, that's what God is seeing. He is seeing what you can be. I'm so grateful for that. And the devil does not understand this. Just like the evil father, his daughter never became radiant in his presence because he never spoke value to her. He never saw anything in her, but you need to understand this. Jesus saw something in you that was worth his blood. The most valuable thing in heaven was spent on you when you were still in your sins. And when the Bible says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the word love there means ultimate value. That's why you should not fear the love of God because he thinks you are worth everything. And he sees you differently from everyone else. All right? People who love God, who are full of God's love, this is the way they are. They love in a way that nobody else loves. They do not love based on what they see in you right now. And they see something in greater, and they're willing to give something greater. And I often hear, whenever pastor talks about Sister Jenny, and I always hear about Bishop and Sister Papa, and all these stories about these people so loving, they're so nice. And I'm like, wow. And, and oftentimes, I often think likewise about Sister Huey, because I always think Sister Huey always can reach out to certain people that I feel like I can never reach out to. And I always feel, personally, it's because of her love and her compassion. She goes beyond the ordinary. Because there are going to be certain things that I might stop myself from doing for someone, from ministering to somebody. And I'm going to be like, I, mm, I don't know whether... But I feel like oftentimes I see Sister Huya minister and she's go, she goes all out there. When Sister Huya goes all out, she goes all out. You know, and and, and she, she just lays it down. She'll give all her effort. Even though she's tired, she'll be cooking away. She'll be serving people. She'll be making sure because she goes to the, the full deal. And that's what the people of God should be like. They go all out. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do everything that I can for you. See, the love of God is not like any other love. Okay, God's value system is spiritual. He looks at you in the spirit realm. The devil looks at your value system in the physical realm. It is all outward. God's value system is eternal. It never changes. God will never change his opinion of you because he settled in eternity's past. But the devil's value system is temporal. He can never you can never bank on the world's love because it changes hourly. One moment I like you, next moment I don't like you. One moment this celebrity is famous, next moment everybody hates this celebrity. Yes. Because why? They did something wrong. Well, the one moment out, they had 2 million followers. Next moment, uh, they say something in the media, they do something, uh, they lost 500,000 followers. Right. Just like that. The world is fickle. Our definition of love and affection is fickle. Okay? So the first ingredient of God's love is that He treats us with ultimate love and we love Him because He first loved us. We worship Him. We are willing to give anything to worship Him because He gave everything to love us. And that is a relationship of mutual valuing that takes place. Number two, God's love, agape love, it's non-performance. The second ingredient of agape love is non-performance based. It is not based on your performance, which is completely unlike any other kind of human love that we have experienced. When we say that God so loved that He gave His only begotten Son, there is no reference to time. It means that when God decided to love you, it was not based on anything you had done, anything you are doing, anything you will do. So nothing that you have, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you are doing or nothing you will ever do could ever change God's love for you. 
This is regardless of time because that word agape there, it's, it's different. It, it, it's not bound to time. Right. It is important tense that is used in the word because for us, oftentimes, it's dependent on something. Right? right? See, for most of us, the love of human is so performance-based that we are always performing to be loved. Right. You know, we fear that there will be a time that I will unable to be, meet those expectations anymore. People are going to reject me and even, even if I do anything wrong, you're going to reject I mean, that was my first fear when I first preached. I was like, my goodness, what if I say anything wrong and people don't like me, then how's ya? <laughs> oh no, then I'll never be the child of God. Gone case ready. You know, that was like, well, oh, that. And I was, I'll, I'll be like super scared. I'll be super nervous. Because you know why? It was a performance beast. Mm-hmm. I kept, had to, I, I, my idea was I had to go out there and perform. I had to go out there and say certain things, do certain things so that people would accept me. You know, but if you're in the kingdom of God, we're not in the performance business. Amen. Okay? Because let's be honest, if we had a performance review like our company, a lot of us will fall short. Yeah. Right? Our company, there's performance review. You know, we're always very afraid when the performance review comes because that's going to depend on your bonus. It's going to depend on whether you get a promotion, right? And everybody's getting their act together so that they can do well on the performance bonus. See, there's a quote by Rob Rufus in this book, uh, Living in the Grace of God. He says, Grace enables us to become the people we were meant to be. Many of us are tired trying to live up to other people's expectations. It is a relief to discover that God loves us just as we are. Isn't that a relief? Because if not, every day we put on our clothes, we walk out, we are performing. How my boss will look at me, how my employer, my employee, my colleagues will look at me, and we, we, we act the whole day, and then we come back, and then we just, <sighs> I'm, I'm so tired from acting. Yeah. Acting like the perfect employee. Acting like the perfect student. Acting like the perfect friend. You know, performing. And then when you come back home, then you're like, oh, let it go, then like, oh, finally. But God, it's not like that, eh? He sees you as you are. You don't have to act for Him. You don't have to perform for Him. How many of you know that the day that you got saved, that you were a mess? I know I was. Absolute mess. And the day when you were, were a mess, the day before that, you were also a mess. And the day before that, also a mess. Okay, in fact, the mess probably got bigger as time went on. And I, I can say that. You know, and one of my favorite scriptures... Um, in, in the Bible, if I don't remember wrong, it's Luke chapter 7, verse 47. It says, the one forgiven much loves much. Amen. I love that scripture. You know why? Because I know how much God has forgiven me. I know how much of a mess God has redeemed me from, which is why I'm able to love Him the way that I love Him. Because I know what He rescued me from. But if in your mind that you think you're not a mess, God help you. Because you need to first of all acknowledge that you are a mess, that God can help you. The moment you think, I'm not a mess, I'm all together, then oh boy, danger. The, the, the higher you go, the, the greater the fall. Okay? You cannot, you cannot change God's love. And if you say, what if it, what it happens if tomorrow I decide to do the worst thing I've ever done? I want you to understand something. His love is the most consistent force in the universe. Amen. You cannot change His love. But I also want you to understand, God is a father and He disciplines. That's what all fathers do. If you're a good father, you discipline. When the kids are growing up, we have the rewards and punishment because we are trying to raise righteous kids. They are not just rewards and they are not just punishments. They are rewards and punishments because you are teaching your children. There's a principle behind it. We will bless you more when you do the right thing. To motivate you to do the right thing. When you do the wrong thing, we still love you. 
but we're going to punish you to teach you that you no longer do the wrong thing. Right. Likewise, God is a good father. So when you do something wrong in God's family, He's going to discipline you. Amen. And that's because He loves you. Once again, this scripture came out in, 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 in my UTB. God disciplines whom He loves. If you're called his son, he's going to discipline you. That is his acknowledgement that you are his child, that he loves you. So do not look at discipline, do not look at correction wrongly and say, oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, God is withholding this from me. God is not allowing me to do this. He don't like me, Lord. No, it's because he loves you. Maybe at that point in time, you're just not equipped to handle what you are asking for. You know? So... God will not bless you when you are in sin. He still loves you when you are. He still loves you when you are still in sin, but he will not bless you. What the devil wants us to believe is that he condemns us and tells us that we are doing something wrong. That God does not love us anymore because we see fear, and fear involves torment. You see, we are always doing something wrong, and we know that. And we all have sinned and fallen short of God. And even today, we are all going to be doing something wrong again. I mean, let, we, we don't. Sometimes we don't plan. It just happens. You know, we're not perfect. So if God in heaven and God's love towards us is going to be determined by the things that we do right or wrong, I'm telling you, we are all in trouble. Amen. And here's what God's love is. He has established a fact. I love you. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain. I love you. It will never change. You cannot do anything that will change God's mind about loving you. It is regardless of time. It is regardless of actions. So why do you have no fear related to God's love? Because He cannot change. It is a decision that God has made. And you know why people are so fearful? Because human commitment does not mean anything. When we say, I mean, I'm not married, but when a married couple say, till death do us apart, it does not mean anything anymore. It does not mean anything when I say, I love you, I'm committed to you. It does not mean anything. How do I know that? The huge number of divorces that you see. The people who are cohabiting, you know, they do not want to get married. You see, this pandemic, if anything, the statistics have shown you, there's more cases of divorces and splits during the pandemic. Because people suddenly realise, I actually don't like you as much as I thought I did. Being in a confined space and time with you shown that, no, you are more than I signed up for. I like you better when you were leaving the house and I only saw you for three hours. You know, at night when you came back home, we have dinner and then we go to bed. That was good. Seven hours with you, too much. Eight hours with you, too much. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Suddenly you realize that you're married. That snore. You snore? Because you didn't know that before you got married. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, you didn't ask. <laughs> that, gets, get, that gets on my nerve, eh? Voila, you snow in your sleep. Oh, no. And, and then you find out, lost job. Oh, you, you don't have money to support me. I cannot go shopping anymore. Yeah, I can't be in that kind of relationship. I need a relationship where I'm constantly provided for, you know. Yeah. Sorry. And you see, people leaving the significant other because they cannot provide. They lost their job. And some people, it's so heartbreaking when they're crippled, when they get injured in an accident. Some spouses say, sorry, I, I, I don't have the energy to take care of you. Yeah. I'm gone. 
There is no fear in love because you understand love, all fears go away. Society and the world is absolutely wrecked with emotional pain and fear that somebody is going to reject us because our love is so performance-based. So if you do good, we love you more than you do bad. If you are pretty, we love you more than if you're not so pretty. If you do everything right, we love you more than you do not do everything right. See, God is not that way. He looks at you based on who He created you, how He created you in your mother's womb. He sees you different from anybody else. And number three, of agape love. It is selfish, it's selflessly motivated. The number three ingredient of agape love, it is selflessly motivated. It is selfless, not selfish. First Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, okay? This gives you a definition of God's standard of love for us. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of the prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, though I have all faith that I could move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long. It's kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, um, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part that we prophesy in, in part, but when we, that we, that is perfect has come, that which in part we will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away the childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know that as I am known, that now abided faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Wow. The greatest, um, well, some may consider the greatest apostle says this there. Eh? Even though I may prophesy, even though I may speak in tongues, though I may do all these things, nothing, nothing. Understand that agape love is selfless love. The Bible says that Jesus is in us, making intercession for us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is in us, yield to Him by praying in tongues. He lives for us. Pastor has been talking about praying in tongues. He's talking about praying in the Spirit, yield to Him. Because sometimes we, we know it's a struggle and, and sometimes we don't know what to do. Sometimes it's, we, we, we don't know, you know, it's so hard to love someone. It's so hard to be, and, and sometimes we feel rejected. Start to pray. Because when you feel rejected, when you, when you feel hurt, when you feel offended or whatever it is, start to pray. Because then you'll be reminded of God's love. You'll be reminded of that selfless love. Because He lives for us. So this is so unlike like, the culture that we live in today because the culture that we live in today, love is totally selfish. I am totally in this for me. Okay? I want you to know that I'm in this for me. So why do people come and make commitments to other people and then break those commitments? It is because it's all about me. Right. It is all about me getting my needs met. It is about me being happy. And when I'm not happy, I am out of this relationship. Right. And it is selfish. The Bible says that Jesus gave from himself selflessly. Your worst nightmare, and I'm talking about a marriage here or a relationship, your worst nightmare is two selfish people trying to relate with each other. 
Because there is no middle ground. You both want your way. It, it, and, and that's how a contract always work, works, right? A contract is 50-50. We will try to get whatever is the best. But God operates in a covenant level. I will give you all. Take it. I, I've already given you all. You know? But, but we are always negotiating. Negotiating. In a marriage counselling, where you have people just butting heads in marriage, it's because two selfish people are trying to get their own way. And God comes and says, I'm focused on you. I'm, I'm ever living to make intercession for you. This is all about you. And I'm giving my life to enter this relationship that the relationship is bound by spirit of selflessness, not selfishness. God is not just to get His needs met. He's not out to build us up, to selflessly bless us. And number four, agape love is eternally committed. The fourth ingredient of agape love Okay, it talks about how God loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him have everlasting love. Let me tell you something about God's family. It is the most secure family in the world. And I'm glad for this family. I hope that you're grateful for the family that you have, for the community that you have. Regardless of what happens to your natural family, the family of God is the most secure family in the world. So you may wonder, can a person lose their salvation? And I'm pretty sure, because I've had YouTube students ask me that question. I, even I wondered that in the original, when I was growing up as a Christian, can I lose my salvation? But if you have been in the Lord long enough, it will be really sad if we think that. Can I lose my salvation? Because salvation is not a bunch of keys that you lose. Right. I should know because I lose them all the time. <laughs> okay? Salvation is not like a bunch of keys or a bunch of items that you just misplace or you forget somewhere. Salvation is, is, is something that God has extended to us. You know, it cannot, be just, it cannot just disappear just like that. See, when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, He means I will never leave you or forsake you. He means it. Amen. There's no double meaning there. There's no hidden agenda there. God's love is eternally committed. When you are in God's family, He says that He comes to you to give you everlasting life. The fear goes away. The fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment, the fear of betrayal goes away because you begin to understand the love of God. The only thing that hinders this kind of love is when you reject the love. Amen. Understand this. The only way this love does not come into effect is when you intentionally make that choice to reject that love. Because God never rejects you. Amen. God is always there. Literally, the picture of God should be with His arms wide open, waiting. Every day, every hour, every minute. He's just waiting. It's whether we choose to run and embrace Him, because He's waiting. And finally, the fifth one, it is non-emotional base. Right. The fifth ingredient about God by love is non-emotional base. Oh God, I'm so grateful for that. And I'm saying that, even though I'm a blue, I'm telling you that it's good that God is not emotion based. Amen. Okay? God cannot change His feelings towards you because His love is never decided based on a feeling. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 39 says, Teacher, which is, the, which is the great commandment in the law? They were asking Jesus. And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? Do you realize there's no emotion required in this? No emotion. I can say to you today, you need to love God for the rest of your life and you need to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's not dependent on your emotions. 
It does not matter what you feel about God. It does not matter what you feel about your neighbour that you're sitting beside next right now. It does not matter if you believe. Feel whatever you want to feel. If you feel that God is distant or whatever, no, it's not dependent on all those factors. Loving God is a decision that you make in your heart. Decision. In, it is a decision of my emotions that I'm saying that today, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to give you the first and the best of everything that I have to God. I'm going to use my life as a witness for God on my good days, on my bad days, when I feel good, when I feel bad. Wow, can you imagine today I woke up, I'm supposed to preach and I say, ah, I don't feel like preaching today. Brother Charles, you're up. Wow, then the emotions that Brother Charles feels towards me cannot describe one. It's not safe, not safe for pulpit one. You know, you'll be like, oh, that's Peter, Sawobi. You know, that's the, that's the emotions that he'll feel. Can you imagine if, if, if Pastor decided, ah, you know what, I'm going to take a break for one month, I'm not going to preach. You're on your own. Hope your spiritual life is good because the next one month, you're depending on your own. Every Sunday, you just tune in, nothing there. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if we all just operated on feelings? Uh, yeah, it, it would just change. Imagine if our, our government operated on feelings or so. I mean, when you hear all the people complaining about you, and they're like, oh, these people are so ungrateful, huh? don't help them. Huh? You know, I'm so grateful for the people that we have been blessed with who are in, power, in, in positions of authority, that oftentimes these decisions are not made out of emotions. Because if it was based on emotions, we are so dead. We are in so much trouble. So, what happens is when love is in my will, not in my emotions, it means I'm in always control of it. Do you know that tomorrow you do not know how you'll feel? In a bad mood tomorrow, you have very little to say over your feelings, but you have total control over your will. There's a difference between feelings and will. We are talking about addressing your will today. If you have a relationship that is based on your feelings, it will be a roller coaster because your feelings are going to constantly change. And I can tell you this, God loves you, God loves you like a family. He loves you like a friend. God has a strong desire for you, but that is not His motivation. His motivation is a commitment that says, I will always do right for you. And I will always decide to do the right thing for you. God has committed to us. And that's what a, a covenant or a relationship with God is. It's commitment. He's all in, 100%. So a marriage is based on agape love. It's a marriage that says, I'm committed for the rest of my life, regardless of how I feel, regardless of my emotions say, I want to know you. My commitment says, I will never leave you or forsake you until death do us apart. And that provides the foundation for the strongest love that can be experienced between human beings. In closing, I'm coming to the end. First John says, perfect love, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Every single one of us have been rejected. Every single one of us here have had to perform to get a certain people to like us. Every one of us here have been in the world system of love and it's completely and totally opposite of God's type of love. So when I'm telling you that we need to walk into intimacy with God, the Bible says there's no fear in that. Let me reassure you today, the Bible says there's no fear in that. You cannot live in fear of God rejecting you, of God judging you, of God changing His mind about you, of God's emotions changing about you. You cannot live in the fear that you're going to sin. It is going to get you kicked out of the family. You cannot live in that perpetual mindset. Oh, what if I sin? What if I mess up? 
Yes, you are going to. But if, it, if, that's, your, if that's your motivation, right, you're eventually going to fall. It's going to be so hard to pick up. And that's why we need the grace of God. Because we know the grace of God is going to help us, prevent us, empower us from sinning. All these kind of fears are worldly-based. But in fact, God's love is the kind of love that loves you regardless of what you do at all times. It is totally committed for all eternity and will never leave you nor forsake you. And when we truly understand God's love, we are able to live in the security of that and draw close to God. Brother Charles, if you don't mind, can I have my phone? Uh, in spite of what, who we are does not deny us from the goodness and the love of God. And there's a quote that says, having God's love does not mean you have God's unconditional approval. Okay, that means that, that doesn't mean God loves you means he will approve everything that you do. Be mindful of that. And in closing, I'm just going to read this and we're going to pray. There's this song called Reckless Love. I really love that song. Really, really love that song. The lyrics of the song goes like this. It says, The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. Fight till I'm found, leaves the 99, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There is no shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up, coming after me. There is no wall, you won't kick down. No lie, you won't tear down, coming after me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Why don't we just raise up there? Raise up our hand. Why don't we stand up and just surrender ourselves to the love of God today? Lord Jesus, even as we are standing here, I'm reminded of your reckless love. This kind of love, I cannot comprehend. My human mind can never understand what it means for this kind of reckless love because I'm constantly told I need to measure up to something. I'm constantly told that I'm not good enough for something. But Lord, your love is reckless. Lord, you won't climb any mountain for me, Lord. Even though I might be in darkness, you want to shine your light on me, Lord. There's no wall you will not knock down for me, Lord. If today I have a wall, if, if today you have placed a wall between you and God and, and you having a relationship with God I pray may those walls come down because people put walls to protect themselves from getting hurt I come, I come against that right now I come against that lie I come against that false pretense that you are bought into and say I don't want to be hurt I don't want to be rejected so I'm going to protect myself I'm going to self-isolate myself I'm going to keep a safe distance away from my neighbour, from the people around me, more importantly from God. God is not asking you to distance yourself from Him. He's saying, come to me. Come to me, all who are heavy, all of you who are struggling, all of you who have fears and insecurities, come to me because
because my perfect love will cast it out. Because in the perfect love of God, in the presence of God, there is no fear. There is peace. There is joy. You're watching this on live stream. I pray you lift up your hands right now and you surrender to God right now. Say, Lord, I want to develop an intimacy with you, God. I do not want I do not want to have a shallow relationship with you, God. I do not want a superficial relationship with you, but Lord, I want to have a deep, meaningful, intimate, loving relationship with you, Lord. Lord, I pray if I bought into the lies of society and our social media, Lord, I pray, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I pray today you renew our minds today, Lord. May you clear our minds of the, the template of what the world has given us of what love is, Lord Father. Every, every, every self-worth and love that is dependent on likes on social media and, and on how people view us externally, I come against you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray you release the truth that everyone is valuable in your eyes, Lord, today. I pray, let the truth, because the, the Word of God said the truth shall save Set us free. And today I pray, let your word go forth and set your people free, O Lord, Father. You might want to reach out to your neighbor right now. Here, if there's someone in your mind that you want to pray for who's not here, I pray you start praying for your, your neighbor, your friend, your family member. God is not done. God is not done. He wants to go deeper with you today harabaya sanda ya 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 la 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 baye ye ro 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 Jesus says no fear i come against fear haralala lord i pray shower us with your agape love shower us with your agape love haralaba let us have a revelation of your love for us lord let us have a revelation for your love for us lord in the name of jesus he Lord, sweep through this place. Heart, touch everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord. If I'm a student today, your self-worth is not dependent on your grades and how well you do in school. If you're a parent today, it's not dependent on whether your child approves you or not or how your child views be free be free be free from these fears they are chaining you up they are holding you back come away with these expectations do away with these expectations unrealistic expectations that the world has bogged you down with the pressures of this world now causing you anxiety I come against anxiety in the name of Jesus I release peace hallelujah 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 Jesus thank you Jesus amen here's what I want us to do you know the scripture you know that brother uh, Peter shared first John chapter 4 verse 18 he says this when there is fear, the person is not made perfect in love. 
Some of us are not made perfect in love. We still cannot disassociate what was done for us again. And, and, and we equate all the negative things equals God. That's why we, we are not open to the love of the Father. God didn't do any bad things to you. God cannot be tempted by evil. Come on, everybody say amen to that. Every good gift comes from above. But some of us, because bad things has happened, it's survival. You fear this, you fear that, and it becomes a way of life. Amen. It becomes, I, I got to defend me because I don't believe that God will defend me. And, and you get so worn out by defending you. So tired because of expectations that you put on yourself. God didn't put that on you. And, and you know what that matters? I mean, what I struggle the most as counseling, I say, why would you want to please the word standard when a God says, I love you already? Whether you're poor, rich, whatever it is, I got you covered and not covered to this life. I cover you through eternity. You know what? And, 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 and we, we, we go chase after those things of the world because the devil has, has this thing called the world that he's created. He's called the prince of the world. And he makes you go chase after those things. And then when bad things happen, you blame God. Eh? Why like that? And God says, what did I do? I told you I love you. I value you on the cross. And yet you still don't listen. What can I do? You're the one that rejected my standard. Not me. So, you know, this implication that I'm talking about is so much deeper. Are you pursuing God as He has already pursued you, as He has loved you? You say, oh, I'm pursuing God. No, really? If you pursue God, then what are your values? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, what are your values? Loss of the eyes, loss of the flesh, the pride of life. The Bible says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So clear. At first, I don't understand what I mean by the love. Because you know what? The world's love is conditional, performance-based. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something that it may hurt you or what, okay? As you grow older, your value depreciates. From the world perspective, the bank also don't want to lend you money. Amen. <laughs> Amen. As you grow older, the world will speed you out because it no longer can use you. But God will never reject you. I say again, from the very beginning when you were born, He will never reject you. So that's why I see older folks people who live by the world's standards of definition of success struggle in fear. But I don't need to be controlled by fear. And let me say this, right? It is a spirit of fear. You cannot fight it with intellectual ability. It's a spirit. And you got to ask yourself the next question, what spirit have I allowed in me? Because nobody can be intimidated unless you allow that spirit to control you. So we are in this journey that I'm not perfected by love. But I want you to lift up your hands and we're going to say, God, here am I. 
in the potter's wheel again. Father, right now, God, perfect me with your love. Father, I pray, God, there are a lot of things, God, that is messing me up. Lord, all kinds of fear, fear of, Lord, rejection, fear of wanting to get in the good books of the world. But God, today, God, what is important is I get the approval of that one God. Lord, the one God that never rejects me, the one God that has it made all eternity. God, perfect me with that love, Father, right now. Come on, just leave your voice. Father, I bind the spirit of fear right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> you are a liar. Devil in the world, you are a liar. And in the name of Jesus, I cast down, God, all those implications in my life, Father, right now. And God, I... Lord, whom the sun set free is free indeed. Lord, I'm free to worship you. Amen. I'm free to receive my love. <laughs> I'm free to receive my identity. Come on, receive it right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't we just clap our hands one more time to the Lord. Amen. How are you going to win this warfare? It's very simple. I'm going to give you some instruction. He must increase and you decrease. you got to do whatever it takes to behold the love of the Father. Every day, get up, look at His goodness. If you look at the world, you will never be at rest. If you look at the piece of paper, you'll never be at rest. Because you know what the paper will tell you? Not good enough. You never meet your quota. But when you open up yourself like a solar panels every day, I'm well loved, I'm secured. Maybe at this present time, things don't look good, but you know what, at the end of the story, we know all things will work together. And your attitude begins to change from the inside. You know why? Because you have a Noah. You're made perfect in love. <laughs> Amen. There's no fear. That's why you become full of excitement. You know what? You may fail a test, but that doesn't mean that you are a failure. That you will ultimately pass the test. If I continue to do what God's going to do it for me. That doesn't mean you don't study, okay? <laughs> it means that God's going to help you to bring to remembrance all that you have learned. So God bless you. Thank you, Peter, for preaching such a great message. Okay, just a reminder. I want us to pray one more time because we're not going to see you for one month. Everything will be online. I want to pray for protection. I want to pray for safety. Can you just lift your hands? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, all those that hands are lifted, I pray for protection. Lord, wherever they go, Lord, those that are online, God, the numbers have greatly increased. But God, we shall not be afraid. Because we know your love, God, is constant. We know your love, God, is always there. So I pray right now, God, that you watch over every individual that are represented here today. But most importantly, God, that they will continue to grow in that perfect love, Father, right now. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray, God, a hedge of protection, God, upon the people of God. In Jesus' name, God bless every one of you. Amen.